One, two, three, ready, go. Everybody, and welcome again to our look at the prodigal God, uh, this Bible study that we're doing from the book by Timothy Keller. I am Marvin Bland. And I'm Janice Casey. All right, Janice. So uh, this chapter three is entitled Redefining Sin. And in this chapter, we look uh, a little bit more closely at the two brothers. And uh, we just got a few questions that we were asking in the guide. So let's go ahead and get started. I think you're going to be the inquisitor today and ask me questions. Yes, but before we get started, Marvin, one big thing that uh, Keller talks about at the beginning of the chapter, he talks about two ways to find happiness. And he portrays the two basic ways people in general try to find happiness and fulfillment. And he shows those ways through the two brothers. So can you explain that? Yeah. Uh, and and, and Pratt, before we get into that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, Savior, we thank you for this opportunity once again to look at your word and to look at your word through the parable that your son Jesus told us, the parable of the two lost sons. Father, we love you. We give you honor, grace, and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Let us all say amen. Amen. So the, the question was, or the, the thought was, once again, uh, the two types of, of, of ways of happiness, right? But Keller talks about this, and if you look on page 34, he talks about this. Uh, these are how people try to find fulfillment. One way is through moral conformity, and the other way is through self-discovery. And so moral conformity, and this is what we see with the older brother, is that whatever the norms and standards are of the communities that we may live in, we try to be compliant with it. We try to do what that community, what that people, group of people may think of us in terms of being. For example, um, if you are uh, a, uh, a business person in Des Moines, Iowa, there probably is a certain unwritten code of conduct that a business person in Des Moines, Iowa should a certain amount of demeanor or whatever with that business person. And so uh, what we're looking at in terms of, of all of this is how that person you know, is acting, how that person should be doing the, the, the day-to-day work or whatever based on that norm or standard or way that they do, and that's moral conformity. And then the other thing that Keller talks about is how in this piece of self-discovery, and this is what the younger brother found out, that, okay, I'm not going to use the moral conformity of my community. I'm not going to be put into that kind of straitjacket. What I'm going to do is I'm going to find out my own way and do my own thing. Now, the interesting thing about all of that, as we see in the parable, is that by that self-discovery, that person finds out that 
probably the standards of the community or the standards that God has set are the right standards, but they discover it on their own. In the parable we see with the uh, son, who, younger son who goes out and does everything as big and bold as he wants to do, and where does he end up? He ends up broke, feeding pigs, and he says, gosh, if I could just go back and be a hired man for my father and pay him back, I would love to do that. And, he, and what does he do? He goes back to doing that. So, uh, so self-discovery and also uh, the, 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 the moral rectitude or the, or the moral conformity are the two ways that Keller talked about one can find happiness. So how does this um, speak to the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to? Well, yeah, and that's the interesting part about this, Janice, because this parable, uh, in terms of what Jesus is doing, he's speaking to, I think, three distinct groups. One, he's speaking to his disciples. His disciples are there listening to all of this. Second, he is speaking to the known sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the pimps, all those people who are sitting there listening to him. And then the third group that he is speaking to are what you talked about, the scribes, the Pharisees, the, those folks. And those people are the moral conformists. Those are the people who are doing things to the standard of the community, but why are they doing it? And they're doing it to curry favor with God, to have some piece of leverage over God to be able to say to God that, hey, God, guess what? I am doing these things, and I am doing these things because I want something from you, not because I want to worship you, not because I, I expect nothing at all from you. I am doing these things because I want something from you, and that's why I'm doing this moral conformity. And, and so Jesus is really speaking to that, and the actions of the older brother, particularly when we see this entire scene of the older brother and uh, after he discovers that the younger brother has come back and the younger brother has been given the robe and the ring and the fatted calf has been killed and, and there's a celebration, the older brother erupts and is upset because why didn't you do these things for me? And then we can also see that with the younger brother, I'm sorry, the older brother, uh, in terms of the Pharisees, at the very beginning of Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3, when the Pharisees are mumbling, hey, you know, Jesus even runs around with these sinners, and he even eats with them as well. So what Jesus is showing them is the hypocrisy of their ways, and they think they're all moral and everything, but they really are not. They're just as corrupt as the known sinners. Right, and I think that one of the, the telling things about this book was showing how the two brothers are very much alike. Their hearts are the same. And you wouldn't think that. Reading the parable, you think they're totally different. But Keller yeah. said that both sons resented the father's authority and they sought ways to get 
out from under that. Both of them mm. rebelled. And they were both alienated from the Father's heart. Both of them were lost. So talk about that a minute. Well, I, I think you said it. Uh, they both presented the Father's authority. And um, the let's talk about the youngest son, which is really clear that I want my inheritance. I want it now. And in some provinces uh, in the community, people will say, well, heck, he wants his father dead because that's really the only way you can get your inheritance in those times. Uh, and, and so his disobedience, his uh, alienation, his mocking, his not wanting to be under the authority of the father is really clear. For the oldest son, it doesn't manifest itself until the father does something that is out of the character of the father and it threatens what the older brother wants, which is the same thing, the inheritance. And once that's threatened, then the older brother goes into this whole disrespect mode. I kind of call it, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, uh, but if you remember the old show Leave it to Beaver, and there was this character on Leave it to Beaver named Eddie Haskell. And so Eddie Haskell would go around and he would see Mrs. and Mrs. Cleaver and he would be so nice to them. Hello, Mrs. Cleaver. Hello, Mr. Cleaver. And he would just be the epitome of being just a, a nice guy. Then he gets behind closed doors with Beaver and Wallet, and he is just the roughest, toughest. And also he speaks ill of the parents and he's not respectful at all. And why was he so nice to them? Why was he putting on the charm and all those sorts of things? Because he wanted something from them. And what he wanted from them was the leeway, the ability, the opportunity to be with Wally and the bees and perhaps to corrupt them too. So So what you're talking about is Jesus' radical redefinition of what's wrong with us when he talks about both sons and then he really puts it out there that the older brother is just as lost, maybe even more lost than the younger brother because he wanted especially the Pharisees and the scribes, the Sadducees, to know that careful obedience to God's law may serve as a an actual strategy for rebelling against God. And so that right there is, um, is telling. Um, because sin, as Keller says, you know, the, the parable lets us know that sin is not just breaking the rules, but it's putting yourself in the place of God as Savior, Lord, and Judge. Wow, I think that is so good. And and particularly what you said, that sin is just not breaking the rules. It is putting yourself, and that's what the Sadducees are doing and the Pharisees are doing. Uh, Particularly, again, if you go back to that verse uh, 1 through uh, 3, when they say Jesus is eating with these sinners. So what are they doing? They are already making themselves judge and jury and everything else 
about what is going on there. Yes, and they're judging not only older brothers don't just judge younger brothers, but they judge God. And they, yes. in, in, in this parable, the older brother, in essence, is saying to the, to the father, you're wrong for doing what you're doing. You had no right to give him a feast and to accept him back into the family. And that's why he's incensed about it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And and I think this redefinition of sin uh, is not only a revelation for the people listening to the parable, and I'm going to add one more group of people listening to the parable. It's you and me. It's the contemporaries of this world who are listening to this parable. Uh, and so this redefinition of what sin is, and I think you hit it on the, the nail on the head when you were quoting Keller, that it's, that it's not just following the rules. Uh, people who follow the rules believe that they're not committing sins as well, that the, that the fact that, that they are there and not committing uh, the, the heinous things that other folks are doing, uh, that, that they can put themselves in, in, as, as pious and, and moral rectitude and all that sort of thing. And I think that's an important distinction that many of us miss in this whole journey of, of, uh, of, of being like Christ. Yeah, and as I was reading the book and thinking about the, the two types of people in our world today. And I was wondering if older brothers ever have any conflict within, thinking that maybe they shouldn't be the way they are. And the Holy Spirit brought to mind Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, who came to Jesus at night and told Jesus, you know, I... I know that no man can do the things that you do except he were sent by God. But I don't understand. I don't understand because in essence he was saying, I'm a Pharisee and we've always thought that we were so good and we were the right ones and then now you're making me rethink this. And so after his talk with Jesus about being born again and so forth and Jesus challenged him that you're a teacher of the law and you don't understand these things, you need to rethink who you are, we don't hear any more from Nicodemus until we see him around the table with his other pharisaical peers uh, talking about Jesus and he's defending him. He's defending Jesus at that point. And then the next time we see Nicodemus in Scripture, it's with Joseph of Arimathea when they're taking down Jesus' body and preparing him for burial following the crucifixion. So there's a clear example of the fact that if you are an older brother, you can change. Because Keller states the people who confess that they aren't particularly good or open-minded are moving toward God, but the people who think they're just fine are moving away from God. Mm. So can you talk about this receiving of the grace of God as Keller talked about it? Well, I think you just did. 
I think you, you, you really just did. I, I, I don't think, uh, to be frank with you, I could add any more to what you just said. I think that uh, the Nicodemus example is, is absolutely spot on and, and shows us that we can reconsider and should reconsider what, it's, what it means to, to be non-sinful and examine our lives to see where we are. And that's a tough thing because uh, you said that, Nicodemus said, you know, I thought I was right. And to admit that you're wrong and to admit that, that, that you may have been taught wrong and to admit that people who love you and, and that you respected and looked up to you were wrong, and you've got to recalibrate the way that you think about things, I think that is absolutely major. And one of the tough things that we have to do as Christians, I believe, or believers, is to take out our faith and, and examine it. I know when I was in seminary, one of the things that we talked about in seminary is that uh, you're going to take your faith and you're going to shake it up and you're going to look at it in different ways. Um, and I think this is one of the different ways that Jesus is suggesting that we look at our faith and that our pews are filled with older brothers. Yes, absolutely. So that brings us to the end of Chapter 3, and what we've just talked about is a redefining of sin. So I think you're, uh, we're ready to close out. Yeah. So Janice, could you close us out in prayer? Yes. Dear Lord, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your Holy Spirit coming in and teaching us. We ask that we examine ourselves. Think about what we think about what we feel about sin, how we operate in sinful ways despite the fact that we think we're right. We ask you to show us our heart and our mind and help us to transform into the people that you want us to be, seeing things as you see them being more like you, putting on the mind of Christ. These things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So thanks, everybody, for joining us for this uh, opportunity to look at Chapter 3. And so until the next time we upload, blessings, peace, and love.